HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. With our growing season just around the corner, we're sowing seeds of knowledge and empathy on this week's episode of Meet and Three through four unique stories. I'm always shocked at how aggressive people are with their language. They'll have something like Japanese knockweed and they'll say, you know, these are terrible, they're they're foreigners, they're invasive, and you know, but they're also, you know, they're really healthy if you eat them. We're surrounded by seeds that have already adapted to live with us and they're actually already kind of living in the future because cities are hotter and they're more polluted and they're more fragmented and these are the plants that can deal with that. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed Podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we're all faced with, what's for dinner? Each week, we will be speaking with members of the Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration to help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I am joined by the wonderful Stephen Cusato. Stephen Cusato is the creator behind Not Another Cooking Show, a YouTube channel teaching others how to be better cooks. He also posts delicious cooking videos on Instagram, TikTok, you name it. His goal is to make sure people are cooking today and cooking with more confidence than there was yesterday. Be sure to follow Stephen at Not Another Cooking Show on YouTube and TikTok and at The Food Freak with two Ks on Instagram. <laughs> Welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Good to of be course. here. Of course. Yes. Look at us. <laughs> um, so you have an amazing culinary story and what you're doing, kind of making food and cooking so much more approachable for the masses is super commendable. But I want to know about kind of your culinary upbringing, so to say. So like in your childhood, who? how did you learn to cook? Like what type of food were you eating at home? What was kind of your food story when you were a little one? Oh, man. I, so I'm, like, uh, born in 85. Um, 
by the time I started to like have my wits about me and, and watch TV, you know, I'm in the nine, I'm like, you know, five, I'm like in the early nineties and the food network is like just beginning, you know, like we're talking about like the equivalent of like, uh, somebody starting like a YouTube channel, but on a, on a cable network where it's just like, you know, bad lighting, bad camera, like nobody really knew what they were doing. And I remember watching that as a kid, um, like these food talk shows, like Bobby Flay on doing How to Boil Water, Emerald's first show, um, Iron Chef Japan. And I remember falling asleep to like Iron Chef Japan with the Japanese subtitles. Oh, um, oh my God. I even as far back, you, you used to watch that too? obsessed like literally obsessed like I was little and my dad used to like we used to quiz each other on like Iron Chef French Hiroyuki Sakai (laughs) and we thought (laughs) Chen Kenichi (laughs) Iron Chef Chinese Masahiko Kobe was the Italian one like I was obsessed of course I was obsessed with those guys like I I... used to love that (laughs) wow I'm 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 Blown away by your recall of the detail of that show. <laughs> Do you remember the lady who was like the uh, really like salty one on the judges panel, like lower parliament member, like so and so, and she was always like really mad. Oh my god, total tangent, but like I've never met anyone else who knows that show. I'm, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that was like the first introduction for people to like what cooking is like, especially at a really high level. Like nobody really, at that time, people who would go to restaurants, there were no open kitchens. It was people behind uh, a door and magically just like this fantastic food would appear. So like getting a window into how food is made was always, like I've, I've always been fascinated by how things are made. So I remember the there's like a book when I was a kid called how things are made literally and it just like shows everything like the how a plane is made and all this crazy stuff and I, I always loved stuff like that so with food um I think because it's like such a universal thing there was a more of a I, I gravitated a little bit towards that without really knowing it until later in life um mm. so like I always loved watching food get made um, when we'd go out to like breakfast at like a diner, I'd rather sit at the counter than at a booth just so I could stare at, um, the food being made. I mean, even to this day, like I, I've been on dates where we've gone to like the sat at like the open kitchen and I'm just like, oh shoot, this is, <laughs> this is a waste because I'm just, I'm lost there. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm into the action. That's, you know, the, all the entertainment I need. And you sort of like, uh, I've always like a lot of where I've come from in terms of like where I am today uh, as like a cook comes from stealing with my eyes. Right. So it's like, uh, I've learned more from watching people than from like actually sitting down and like learning from their lessons so it's like those moments to like see somebody do something that uh, they have like a unique way of doing it or like uh, little, little tiny things like uh, how you, how somebody flips an egg on a flat top or just little things like that. Like I, I, I kind of like to observe and pick up and I, I kind of feel like um, over time, those are the kind of things that 
uh, end up defining like your style and how you approach food in a lot of ways. So I was like a, a lot of what I do now, it's like I try and recall those early 90s pure cooking shows that yeah. I feel like, you know, remember like Yen Can Cook? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Like he was the, he, he's a guy who, who thought like, let me add humor to cooking and, and like a little bit of uh, not chaos, but he brought some sort of this energy to a cooking show you know, Emerald had energy. He he was, you know, another one who brought that. But Yan was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I've never seen anybody as good at, like, the humor and the, the cooking knowledge as him. And he's just like a legend, um, Martin Yen. And, you know, stuff like that, I was just always really fascinated by. Um, and so, like, when I made my cooking show now, I really wanted some of those feels but in, like, a more modern, like, youtube kind of way. Right. Yeah. No, that's a super eloquent and interesting way of putting it. Just kind of, like, learning with your eyes. And, like, I can just, like, picture you, like, at these diners. And you grew up in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I can picture you at, like, these classic, like, diners. Like, just kind of, like, let your eyes lit up, like, watching, you know, oh, yeah. the, sh- the chefs, like, making hash browns and stuff. <laughs> You've been doing the same movements over and over again. You know what I mean? Like I, there was a hot dog truck. Like I ended up starting a a food truck, but I remember there was a hot dog truck in my town that um, they served sabret hot dogs. They were just always just perfect, like decent, like regular hot dogs. And I would just watch them. And you know that, like that little mustard kind of stick that, you know, they stick it in and then they swipe it on Like, those movements, right? Getting the dog out of the thing, opening the bun with the tongs, like the, the, this this dance that I kept <laughs> seeing people doing in the kitchen or around food, I always was fascinated about. And I, I remember even as young as a kid, I was like, I want a hot dog truck. And and so oh, like, my God. you know, you know, those things vanished as I got a little bit older. They like kind of slid in, in the back of my mind because like, you know, I'm I, at one point, I wanted to be a, a you know a film director when I was a kid, which is kind of funny how that came full circle. But, yeah. you know, but then, you know, I got my dad worked in advertising. So I figured, you know, let's get into the business world. Let's follow dad's path. And uh, and so, like, I kind of got into that world and, and you kind of forget about the food uh, until like it kind of comes back later. And you, you kind of have that realization and that starts to take over your life again. Yeah, really full full circle. So now you're doing all of the above. You're the film director, the the emerald, the <laughs> culinary producer. You're really all of the above, which is really just fascinating how you're able to pull that all off. But back like when you were I know you were kind of learning with your eyes, but what type of food were you eating like at home? Like I you're Italian or am I just guess am I Making yeah. that up. I feel like, okay. I'm, I'm largely Italian. I've got a little bit of German in me. Interesting. So were you eating kind of like traditional, like Nona's, you know, meatballs and Sunday sauce or Sunday sauce? Like what was, what was the vibe at home? My, so, um, no, actually. I, we would have pasta, but it, my mom, I don't recall her ever making sauce homemade. Um, my grandma in Albany used to. So we would go to see my grandma in my dad's mom uh, a few times a year. And 
there, that is where I experienced that, that kind of, you know, uh, big Italian middle of the day dinner where, you know, we would get there and it's still light out, but there's a five course meal on the table. And <laughs> and it's meatballs, it's sausage, it's pasta, it's salad, you know what I mean? It's everything. And you sit down and you eat and you just hang. And, and you know, I think because I didn't have it all the time, like it was a, a, a special occasion sort of thing, um, it made it really special for me. Um, I always really enjoyed it when I had it, but it didn't, it wasn't like this prevalent thing in my head like a lot of people had, which I think as I get older, like it's something I, I think more, like whenever it's Sunday, I don't know, mo- most Sundays I'm thinking like pasta or meatballs. So it's right. like, uh, I, I sort of would like to implement that. You know what I mean? It's kind of hard when you don't have a family. Like it's so one of those things where it's like you make so much food, it's, it kind of lends itself to having people there to make. So I think it's uh, one of those things where if you have the, the, the need for such a thing, that is like a, a, an ace in the hole to pull out whenever there's a big crowd. So that's sort of how yes. I think about it now. Um, other things I grew up on, my mom made a killer meatloaf, um, <laughs> which I'll probably do on the show soon. Um, Mom's meatloaf. I remember, <laughs> I remember I ate a lot of fast food. McDonald's I loved. Up until college, I lived off of McDonald's. Oh, my god. Like, there goodness. were times in, McDon- in college where I had no money. So, like, I could hit the, the dollar menu three times a day and spend $15 <laughs> on all the food and, and, like, thoroughly be, like, enjoying my life. Uh, oh, my God. So you were doing, like, the supersize me challenge, unbeknownst to anybody, eating only McDonald's all day, every day. <laughs> no one asked you to do this. <laughs> There were moments for sure where I had that life. Um, but, you know, that it, I, you grow out of that. I mean, I haven't really been in the McDonald's world for like 15 yes. years now. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like when I grew up, I wasn't, there wasn't like a real, a lot of the, the food memories that I recall are around holidays. And I think that um, plays a big role in, you know, I even treat holidays on my channel special. I have a whole, if there's any, the closest thing to like a product that I have is this like digital cookbook around like a, a plan of attack on how to approach the holidays based off of like me and my brother who have been uh, cooking and kind of running the holidays with my mom, uh, with the help of my mom for the, like the last 15 years. So, yeah, so, like, we've sort of, you know, figured out a few things or have a, uh, you know, our own sort of process that I try and, you know, distill with holiday, (laughs) excuse me, with the voice, uh, with holiday (laughs) recipes. (laughs) Um, Puberty's crazy. Yeah, right? Um, So, you know, for me, I really enjoy the holidays, um, and all of my major food memories kind of revolve around like Christmas. My birthday's two days after Christmas, so for me, like uh, you know, that that last uh, two months of the year, um, you know, that's where a lot of my childhood food memories kind of occur. That's so cute. So, what is like your favorite? 
I'm sure you've done like plenty of versions of what to do for this holiday feast. But is it what is kind of the is it very traditional like Americana? Is it more Italian? Like what does that like holiday extravaganza meal situation look like for you? It's really simple, actually. It's more like um, trying to figure out how to properly execute really classic meal items. And like a lot of the stuff that my family does is kind of unique. Like we have this German, um, it's a German stuffing, right? Uh, It's like four ingredients, butter, celery, um, onions, this Arnold's country bread, just like regular processed bread. And this special ingredient, which is like a George Washington broth seasoning with like a bunch of MSG in it. It's like really hard to find. You get it on uh, Amazon and it's just like the combination of those things. It's just like the most incredible stuffing ever. Like I've never even thought to get, there's never been a thought in our family's history of like, we should try a different stuffing this year. So it's like- um, That's just the one. It's the one, it works. And you know, we just kind of do it and um, so yeah, you know, we, we have our traditions and I try and share them with people and I'm, I'm trying to grow them, um, over the course of the channel. Like this year I did a whole thing on my grandma's ricotta cookies, which was like a thing in my family. She, when she passed, she gave us the ingredient list, but not the direction. And it's like oh. the key, the key to this recipe is the, the way in which you add the ingredients and, and what form. So, like, if you just threw the ricotta in with all of the other stuff, um, it creates a much more dense cookie. But if you whip the, if you work the ricotta in almost like fluffed egg whites in like a pancake batter, it creates like a much airier cookie. And that ended up being the key that my brother had to figure out after like, you know, five years of testing them out. Oh my gosh, how did she not tell you that? Because <laughs> grandmas are selfish. Yes. No, my grandma, I actually have the exact same situation with my grandma. She passed and her recipes were kind of the quintessential recipes of my childhood. And she left like none of them. So (laughs) I've been like winging it, trying to recreate them myself. So I totally get where you're coming from on that. So it's, yeah, it must be a grandma thing, I guess. (laughs) Um, So what were you, were you like cooking with her in the kitchen or cooking with anybody in your family in the kitchen when you were little? Like, were you like helping out, trying to learn like how you were at these diners and stuff Honestly, or at home ag- where you just ag- like, no. <laughs> Again, the only thing I remember was like Christmas cookies and Easter eggs. Oh, I love Easter eggs. Um, so like I remember really being active on those two fronts. <laughs> <laughs> the important ones. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. So with you kind of watching visually and then becoming this very, you know, kind of, respected expert in the space what's kind of what filled that gap there like how did your cooking style evolve over time like how did you become you know mr food freak with two k's like how how did that happen (laughs) um I, i think um i think a good way of like describing how i cook is contrasted to the way my brother cooked who was like a french culinary institute graduate so he was always all, he was fantastic. Like he helped make us really incredible recipes on our food truck, but he also had that really complicated point of view in terms of like uh, 
everything was a fancy technique to create something no one's ever seen before, like a combination that was so out of control. And like there, that was great. And it, there serves a purpose. Like he's, he was a restaurant chef and I always identified myself as a home cook. And right. for me, like the grandma style of cooking is, is sort of the way in my opinion. But if you can take what's important from a chef's world and apply it to a home cook, you become like a, a superpower grandma. You know what I mean? Like you're a superhero <laughs> grandma in the kitchen. So oh my like, God. I think as I rubbed shoulders with people who had so much more skill and technique than I did, and I learned from them, and then distilled that into like this simplified way of looking at things that appealed to somebody who uh, maybe isn't confident, isn't so confident in the kitchen. But if I can then say like, hey, here's this technique that's going to help your life. Um, and greatly improve how you do things because we're going to take the time to learn how it should, I hate saying how it should be done, but this, this way of doing things that is useful, um, then maybe there's like an angle to get somebody who otherwise might've said like, I can't cook, you know what I mean? To change, to have like an aha moment and saying, maybe I can make that. Cause like I used to, um, Back in another lifetime, um, when you know I had I would I would have a girlfriend and we would entertain and it was like a really big thing to like you know have uh, me in the back of the house and somebody in the front of the house and you have people <laughs> over and you back go like house. dinner parties and and people come over and they're like I can never do this these kind of things and my my thought process was always like well I'm not doing anything complicated I'm making spaghetti and meatballs I'm like just showing it a lot of love. Um, and so with the show, I really wanted to communicate that. Like a lot of the things I think about is like, what, what is cooking with love? Like, is that a tangible thing or is it this abstract idea? And the more I think about it, the more I think it's like a, a tangible action. Like when I look back and I think about my grandma who used to make the, the, we would used to go, go over to her house and there'd be like this huge Italian dinner. She wasn't getting things on the stove and like going to watch TV. She was walking and marching around the kitchen like a, a military chief, making sure everything is going <laughs> smoothly at all times. She never left. She's always hovering, always there. That's the grandma way of showing love to food where it's like, does it need something? Let's take care of it. Let's figure it out what it needs. And you know, it's like just how like a, a mom would treat a kid. You know what I mean? You hurt yes. yourself. Let's get a Band-Aid. Let's figure it out. Let's, you know, we'll make you happy. We'll, we'll get it done. It's like that. that is what cooking with love is. It's making sure that the thing you're doing comes out the best you can possibly make it. And whether it it's actually like the best food or not is not the question. It's like you're seeing the effort that was put into and it just tastes better because of that. Regardless, it's like a magic energy that you oh can God. translate into food. And I think that I really believe in that. And um, it's sort of why you get these things where, you know, uh, a, a, a second generation, you know, mom is like, you know, grandma's just tasted better. I don't know how. You know what I mean? It's probably because she, yeah. she just cared more about it. She, she cared a little bit more about it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're really 
answering those existential questions of what it means to cook with love. And it's so funny that (laughs) you're kind of like, you're talking about being this like superhero grandma. And that is kind of the exact vibe of what you're doing because you are cooking like very like home style, home cooked recipes, but in a way that has these, you know, techniques and kind of combining, you know, what you've learned from your brother and like probably other like very professional restaurant chefs. So that is really fascinating to hear. You're just chock full of wisdom, my friend. Mm, <laughs> yeah, you know it. And so obviously that's how you evolved and, you know, became, you know, kind of the quote unquote expert that you are now. But when you're cooking for yourself or, you know, cooking for others, like say you're putting, getting dinner on the table, like what does that look like for you? Obviously getting dinner on the virtual table via your camera lens is one thing, but what are you making for yourself most nights? Uh, um, I'm probably, it really depends because work is, work requires testing a lot. Mm-hmm. So like most of the time I'm cooking it for myself, probably 80, 70 to 80% of the time it's using like tonight's dinner as a, um, an opportunity to test a new recipe out or to mm-hmm. film a short vertical video of a recipe I've already done. Um, and so, like, because time is so tight in this world and, like, the opportunities to film, um, you know, it's it's you can't just shoot, you can't just pre-record, like, eight videos a day by talking to a camera, right? You got, there's production yeah. and pre-production and stuff that needs to be done. Um, so time is always tight. So a lot of the times like, I'll find like a really healthy like salad place to order from to fill in the blanks on the days where I'm not testing something. And when I, I'm not testing something and I'm not ordering out, I'm making like broccoli pasta or something that's like uh, I'll have uh, frozen pasta tomato sauce in the freezer where I can just like it's my weekday sauce. I can just reheat it, cook pasta up and I have a quick meal or um uh, you know, cooking up a, a quick steak and, you know, just things that are really simple. Like, I, I'm trying to figure out a way to to, to make a, a, uh, a way of doing videos on my channel. I think I'm, try, I'm thinking like uh, something about how like a good meal, you know, we all want these like fancy meal ideas. But to me, like the key to cooking is like figuring out like a three piece meal, right? Like a, a starch, a vegetable, a, a protein, right? And then yep. playing within that world. And making that interesting. So it's like easy for you to come up with quick ideas based on what you have. And, um, but you know, it's not, it doesn't get stale, which it could be uh, if you just kind of make like chicken, rice, and, you know, broccoli, broccoli every day. Uh, but actually, broccoli is my favorite. I, eat, I almost eat broccoli every day. It's by far one of my favorite things ever. And I hated it as a kid. I used to spit out broccoli as a kid. I used to I used to have a plateful of broccoli, shove it into my mouth, chew a little bit, and then with a a, a, a a napkin, spit it all out, and sneakily go to the kitchen and throw that out to to like to to show that I ate them, but I didn't really. I hated them, and I think so many people hate broccoli because, like most vegetables, they just overcook the hell out of it. You know, they they, they boil it. You have to you have to roast broccoli. When you roast broccoli or you cook it in like oil and garlic on like a high heat and you get some 
caramelization, just like you would a cauliflower or butternut squash. Like that's where all the flavor comes in. When you like blanch broccoli, you know, you lose flavor to the water. Um, if you cook it on too low of a temperature, you get no color and you steam it and there's no flavor development. Um, so like on, on my food truck, we served Brussels sprouts was our side item. And it was the most popular thing on our truck because we fried them. And when you fry a Brussels sprout, you get a nutty caramelized flavor rather than that like sulfuric flavor. And we used to describe to people, we used to explain to people that the reason you don't like Brussels sprouts is because you overcook them. And when you overcook them, they release sulfur, like a sulfur smell. So it smells like a fart. So like, that's not, that doesn't taste good. Whether, you know what I mean? Like there's no, no one's ever been like, ooh, that smells like a fart. Let me eat that. So to me, um, when I when I started roasting everything that's a vegetable, it was just like, oh my God, even vegetables you think you don't like, if you just roast them, they, they sweeten up, they caramelize, they get texture and they just, you know, there's almost nothing, even, even fennel, like I, I really don't like fennel. Um, but if you roast it, it's the flavor completely changes. We're going to take a quick break now and hear from our sponsors. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I'm able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected. And I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. Okay, so we were talking about your favorite and least favorite foods. I think we left off on um, olives, so I'll just take mm. it from there. <laughs> so you have some pretty hot opinions about foods that you like and don't like, which I can totally respect because I have a very similar set of opinions for some different ingredients, so I won't give you a hard time. But tell me about some ingredients that you always have in your kitchen. I know you're always kind of filming, editing, testing, like what are some things that you always have, like some Stephen Staples hashtag? Oh, well, I mean, besides having just like a, a well-rounded pantry, that's something I think everybody needs to figure out um, because then you really don't have to shop like crazy whenever you want to cook. You know, you got all of like the little basics. Uh, one of the things I'm sort of sneaking into everything right now is Calabrian chilies. Ooh, Yes. They have such a unique flavor. Um, it's it, like it almost reminds me of like Frank's Red Hot Sauce, but in like na natural form. Nature's so it's like Frank's. A, na na nature's Frank's Red Hot. Um, <laughs> so I'm like working that into, into almost everything I can think of. Um, I've always got some Parmigiano Reggiano on hand for sure. Um, yes. I've, I've always got. Brodo in the freezer that I've made. You know, you save like 
your onion scraps and your carrot ends and onions, all, all the stuff you're going to throw away when you chop vegetables and keep them in a frozen bag. And then, um, you know, chicken carcasses, beef bones, anything you have, you throw them into a pot and you make a, bro- a like a nice bro- broth out of that. And you'll, I haven't bought a, a box of stock in like a year and a half. And it feels amazing. Yeah, that's everything very commendable. Is so, everything is so much better. Like from from for me, it's like you're missing out on all this flavor when you're buying a box. Um, so it's like if I can just save money and make a better product, it seems like a no brainer. Especially in a world when we're like not doing anything. You know what I mean? Like if you're not making <laughs> stock with your with your waste, you're you're really just like you're losing at this point. So okay. I really. I've heard this a few times from multiple like chef friends that you should be saving that stuff and making stock and broth. And I don't know if this is a problem unique to New York City, as you and I have talked about. Where are you keeping all this like scrap vegetable and bones? Like I don't have room for anything. Like so two, they- one to two Ziploc bags. That's makes it. A, makes a batch of broth that would last you a couple months. So you make the broth and then you freeze that broth. I just, I just feel like I don't And what have you can space. do, I, I made a video where, like, I reduce some of it. Some of it I don't reduce, and some of it I reduce all the way down. If you just make decisions about those three levels of reduction, you can think about the most reduced ones as a concentrate. You know how you make, like, a lemonade concentrate? Yeah. So you can store, like, 20 gallons of lemonade in a small box that you can then make lots of lemonade with later. That's yeah. sort of how you can think of, like, a demi-glaze or, you know, a, a heavily reduced stock or broth. Um, for me, I've got, you know, space where I will keep some as like a stock. So like, you know, I can just quickly defrost it and make like a soup with it or, you know, like a, some sort of sauce with it. Um, I've got some that I, I reduce a little bit more, strong enough to like sip, like a, a uh, you know, a cup of Brodo. And yeah. then some that are all the way reduced down to like a, a demi-glaze. And if you decided like, hey, I'm just going to make a huge batch of Brodo, reduce it all the way down to a demi-glaze, divide it up into 16 cubes, and then re-add um, water to those cubes whenever I need to make a stock. It's like a it's like a homemade bouillon cube, essentially, where you oh, could... Oh, that's genius. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try it. I mean, it... It probably takes you less time than me to, like, accumulate enough, like, veggie scrap ingredients to make a broth or stock. But I think I'm convinced because people have been saying this, like, for everybody I talk to is like, save your scraps. And I'm like, where? I'd literally rather buy new (laughs) vegetables than, like, keep all this, like, trash that I don't have any room for. Well, it's like the the end of the the, uh, onion. You know what I mean? Like the root yeah. end of the onion and like the the all of the little scraps, potato peels, like they all add up. And um, and, you know, sometimes what I'll do is I'll I'll get like a ribeye, a bone in ribeye steak. I'll take the bone off and I'll save it for broth and then I'll just cook a, a, a boneless steak. But, I'll, I'll, I don't, you know, it's so hard to get like the bones of stuff like whenever I yeah. can. I get it. Like sometimes if you want short ribs, you you buy bone in short rib and you cut the bone off for boneless to cook them boneless, but you still get the bones. You know what I mean? So I think um, even when I was younger, I used to think things like, why am I going to make my own 
broth and they have them in boxes. And like, I get the convenience and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the older I get and the more I kind of go, you know, the older you get, the more you try and like go to your roots. I'm like, what, what is it really that I, I'm after? And for me, it is to like, to find, to find like the best version for me. And what, like mm-hmm. best is such an annoying word in my opinion, but and it, for this, like for this conversation, it's like, what is the best thing that's going to cause me the most joy when I eat this? Because it's like, what are we doing in life? We, if we're not seeking the joy, uh, and for a lot of people, it comes in lots of different ways. And for me, it comes in eating, never having a bad meal, right? Like, I feel like we, we I, I don't really eat breakfast. So that means I get two, about two meals a day. Why am I going to waste that on something that is not good? <laughs> that's like wow. it just seems like a waste of an opportunity in a life that you know like we've seen over the last year sometimes it's hard to find the bright spot so it's like why can't you have that bright spot two times a day whenever you you eat and so that's the re- the way that I sort of uh my hedonistic quality in life is to to kind of find joy and pleasure out of these things and uh and so like for me I want the best stock you know what I mean? Maybe that's not for everybody. Maybe you're a mom of six kids and uh, you do your best to get your homemade stock, but sometimes you just can't get to it. It's like, I get that. And it's like, uh, that's why the boxes exist. But I think for the people who kind of want a little bit more and are going to are gonna seek to take more control over the things they eat, it's like nice to have um, lots of shows and lots of resources for them to to consume to figure out how they want to do it. You know what I mean? Because it's like in this world, there's so many people, you know, I, I do a video on a pizza, but then there's 15, uh, 1,500 other YouTubers who are making pizza videos. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the thing is you're finding the thing you relate to most. Like what is your vision in your head of a pizza and what should it look like? And then you go and find the closest thing on the internet to get you there. And then you test it and maybe it doesn't get you where you want. So you tweak, you know what I mean? And it takes you on your own journey that people like me just are trying to help make a little bit easier for you. You So it's like a really interesting kind of world I find. Wow. Well, Stephen, in your never ending wisdom and (laughs) wise, very beyond your years thoughts, I will be officially changing to a homemade broth stock in the freezer type of gal which is something that I never really saw for myself so you're I'm a, I'm a changed person thanks to you so once you, you go homemade stock you're never going back exactly and I love I, I mean when I'm actually making soup you know for that reason I love homemade you know broth but just like having it around and just like you know having it available to me was nothing that I really ever thought about but you know I'm a new I'm a new person now. What's amazing is when you start to make broths, like when I was younger, I would just throw everything I could in there and be like, oh, it's just going to make it crazy. Yeah. But um, but as I got older, it's like you start to realize the subtlety of everything you add. Like one time I just added way too many carrot. I was just using it as a garbage for like a huge carrot dish I was making. And I remember taking it and then I then reduced that stock. And I was like, oh, my God, this is disgusting. It's like too sweet. Like carrot juice? <laughs> because the carrot was just overwhelming. And so then you start to wonder about balance. And then you start to realize, oh, this is like a, a whole other world, this broth. Like you can 
push it in different ways and you can create a one that's neutral and balanced and then it can go for it's it it opens a whole new world that i think once people discover they get really excited about okay wow i'm new year new me 2021 i'm gonna be having homemade stock on hand it's it's official so thank you i'm gonna hold you to it okay i'm gonna show you you bet um and i have a very tough question for you so f mary kill Steven edition, and one that's probably going to be very difficult for you to answer. Um, the first is vodka sauce. The second is bolognese. And the third is cacio e pepe. Uh, I feel like I know what your answer is going to be. <laughs> um, oh, jeez. Okay, so we got vodka, vodka sauce, bolognese. bolognese. And cacio e pepe. Okay. I, I, this is very difficult, but I'm going to do my best to give uh, <laughs> a good reasoning behind them. Uh, okay. I definitely F vodka sauce. Really? I thought you were going to marry vodka sauce. No. I knew you wouldn't kill it. There was no way. No, I wouldn't kill it. Um, oh, geez. This is, you, you're killing me with this one. I know. Um, but yeah, vodka sauce to me, it seems naughty. It just seems like, uh, like sultry in a way. <laughs> um, She's a dirty girl. I, I'd marry bolognese. Really? Yeah, that's something that gives you everything, right? You could, you could die happy with bolognese because you've got a balanced, you've got a full, complete meal in a pasta. Okay. Yeah, I see that. I kill pepe, not because I don't like it. But because people have such a hard time executing it. That's That true. I spend a lot of time thinking about it. And, um, you know, I wish, I wish the secrets to it uh, were easier for people to understand. That's Because it's, it's, very, it's very nuanced. It's fickle. Um, you have to understand how cheese behaves with heat. Um, like, there's lots of tricky aspects to it that for something that is just three ingredients it's very easy to make kind of gross or, or i mean it's never gross but like it can like look clump up. On, it, yeah it can look really unappealing okay those were very accurate answers and i feel like i didn't see that coming really <laughs> well i actually have a problem with bolognese myself where like i like it in theory but every time i eat bolognese even at like the nicest restaurants i feel like it reminds me of hamburger helper so that's a me problem that i'm working through um <laughs> i've been talking to my therapist about it no i'm just kidding <laughs> but um i can never like get behind a bolognese the way i can get behind pasta that's more like separated if that makes sense like the the ground meat being so incorporated in the sauce and the pasta just throws me off for some reason when you eat bolognese what pasta do you eat it with i don't know i'm thinking about like a pappardelle or like if I, i'm thinking about it from restaurants because i literally don't make it anymore i'm like ugh, like whatever i'd literally rather have spaghetti meatballs or just like spaghetti pomodoro or anything that's like less like crumbled meat e <laughs> the in the sauce but yeah i feel like it always comes with like a pappardelle or like a i don't know mm. what yeah it does um, it does I, I can see i can see that on some level 
Right. Well, that's the thing is everybody but, I mentioned that to was like, damn it, you've ruined bolognese for me too. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out a, a rebuttal to it. I, I, I can't it's really valid. come up with one, but I think, I think that's, I mean, you can't, you cannot compare the two, first of all. <laughs> it just feels that way. <laughs> but, but um, if you grew up on Hamburger Helper, then that is the clear sort of uh, association you might make with it. I mean, I didn't necessarily grow up with it, but I've had it enough times that <laughs> when I eat bolognese, I'm like this like creamy, cheesy, like sort of saucy, like ground meat product on that's very incorporated into this pasta is just very reminiscent of that for me. But I mean, next time you eat bolognese, I know you're going to think about it and I apologize in advance, but that's just, that's my cross to bear, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so tell me who inspires you, Stephen? Besides Iron Chef, Japanese. <laughs> yeah, this definitely some... Morimoto. <laughs> I met him actually at uh, US Open. Oh my God, I, I love a, him. I got a picture with him. I um, love him. There's a lot of people, you know, there's like some names that will pop into my head. Like uh, Evan Funky is pretty big inspiration on me right now. He he, he owns, uh, he's the pasta guy at Felix in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. Um, Daniele Uditi at Pizzana, who's also in LA. LA has got some pretty fantastic Italian food, uh, which was a huge surprise to That's me. That's like really of, surprising, especially coming from a New Yorker. Of, some of the best Italian food I've ever had. Um, what? It's these people who are, st- like this guy, Daniele uh, at Pizzana, he's got such a fantastic story. I think this is what I, I kind of, people who have stories like this, like, you know, he, he was on this uh, show on Netflix where he's explaining a lot of the pizza uh, or a lot of, about his business, Pizzana. And he's talking about his like tomatoes, like how, um, you know, when we buy San Marzano tomatoes, it's not really like from San Marzano, the mountain, Mount Vesuvius. Right. It just like it's not like they're all. It's not. It's a. It's a mountain. It's a can't possibly uh, handle the demand that we see everyone wanting. He's got an actual plot of land on Mount Vesuvius growing San Marzano tomatoes that no are ex- exclusive to him. And so, and and he he brought he smuggled in like the starter for his pizza dough. Um, so like, there's this like crazy story behind the food of this restaurant and you can taste it. It's perfection. And so it's just like somebody who, who's just do people who do simple things at such a high level really, uh, speak to me. Right. Like I, I like people who are inventing new crazy things like, uh, uh, Grant Atkins, right. At, At Linnea. Like, his story is incredible as well. He lost his taste buds. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and, like, I'm fascinated to see what they do. But, like, that doesn't really speak to me. Like, it's more like something I would go to enjoy the experience at eating those things. But to me, what makes me happy is figuring out the simple things that we like to eat. And then finding, like, a more complete way of, of making them and a better way of explaining them. So that people can just kind of unlock this, like, ah, this is what I've been looking for. You know, it was like when I started cooking, I I just wanted to create the tomato sauce I've always wanted. Some were too chunky, right? Some were too thick. Some were too thin. Some had a weird color to them. Some have too many spices. Some were too sweet. 
It was just like, what, what is the thing in my head that screams tomato sauce, like perfect Italian grandma tomato sauce, perfect consistency, perfect color, perfect flavor. Those, those kind of ideas are the things that like drive me. And did you find it or did you make it? I think like, uh, I mean, perfect is a never ending journey. I think I've come up with things that I really enjoy that are always being tweaked to be slightly better. Whether that is with my tomato sauce, it's primarily it's a simple recipe. It's the key is the ingredients. Like my show is in a strictly is a, a predominantly ingredient focused, along with technique focused channel. So like, you're you don't have to be that much better of a cook. You need to just be using better ingredients. And when you find like a better tomato, like Bianco Di Napoli tomatoes, instead of buying San Marzano tomatoes, now I buy California tomatoes. But these guys know how to grow tomatoes and they grow some of the best. California is like one of the best place to grow anything. If you think about grapes, right? California wines have a lot of fruitiness because yeah. they have some of the most sunny days of any place in the world and more sun's going to create a riper, sweeter product. So you would just almost think tomatoes have to be that area has to yield a great tomato. So these guys do it. They have a great a business and now like my tomato sauce is better because their product is better. You know what I mean? That is a wow. thing that we don't think about as home cooks so much is we're like, it's a recipe. My recipe is better than your recipe, blah, blah, blah. It's all nonsense. It's about the ingredients. Like you're the best steak. Doesn't matter what technique it is. It's going to taste like crap if you use a crappy steak. Yep. So like, I think everybody is so obsessed about recipe like when I post something they're like did you see this guy's recipe or that technique and I'm like yeah I see you know I see everybody doing them but it's like what about the ingredient you know what I mean like the recipe doesn't matter the recipes recipes I, I forgot who said it uh Jacques Pepin or something he's like recipes are like a river they're never the same you can't make recipe you can't rely on a recipe especially somebody from somebody like me who's like you know who knows if um who knows if that recipe is super accurate if it was super tested and we're, right. we're going to, you know what I mean? We're going to use it as gospel, right? Yeah. It's not, it shouldn't be done that way. It should be used as a guide. You should get the ideas, the techniques, but you need to be there. It's sort of like that love I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Stuff goes wrong and you've got to be there to kind of figure it out. And uh, I think that's really key. But if you just have good ingredients, you're, you're like, you're more than halfway uh, halfway there. And so I think if people just kind of took took that a little bit more to heart, like when, you know, spring comes, yeah. wake up on a Saturday morning early and get to the farmer's market. Feel like that, how good it feels to, to be with these people, to see these ingredients that you haven't seen and you get inspired and you, you go home and your day is involved around all this fresh, delicious food that you're really excited about. Like it changes you. Wow. You're painting such like a romantic picture of a future that I would love to one day see where I can actually go to a farmer's market and like enjoy, uh, a, enjoy a sunny day, um, <laughs> <laughs> a warm, sunny spring day, like feeling like, I don't know, like peaches and being like, wow, wonderful. Like what a, what a lovely thing to look forward to. Um, well, I mean, after last year, the pandemic um, coming out of that and going to the farmer's market, even though, you know, you got to wear your mask and it's, you know, hot and weird or whatever. But like that was one of the most happy. That was some of the happiest moments of the year were like waking up, getting to the farmer's market and being like, oh, finally, I can 
go shopping again. I can pick out what I want. And it was just the best. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that for sure. And I, I, I love where you're coming from as far as being like an ingredient purist. I've had the pleasure of like interviewing, you know, many chefs at like great restaurants. And that's kind of always what it comes down to is like that obsession with, with the most, you know, the best ingredients. And I know you said like using the word best is weird because obviously it's relative, but it's, and I think that's pretty, a pretty consistent thing when you have a dish that's like one of the best you've had of it. It kind of all comes down to the ingredients and obviously treating them right is important. But I think that your philosophy on that is very well, well articulated as, as always. Well, thank you. <laughs> yes. And so we, the, with the farmer's market, obviously that's probably your preferred way of shopping, but how often do you like normally grocery shop with all the like production and cooking that you're doing at home? How often do you grocery shop? Oh, I'm more of like a <clears throat> every day to every other day kind of guy. Really? Yeah, I prefer, that's the best way to not waste anything. Yeah. You know, these, these one-stop, one-stop one shopping one day a week, um, it's, again, it gives you convenience, right? You get everything you want at this one place, but, um, and, you, and you can go once. But, uh, you know, it's like for me, stock your pantry up really well. Um, and then when you want things, go pick, pick out a fresh meat, some fresh vegetables, any, any odds and ends you might need to fill the gaps. Maybe there's like a, a spice you're low on in your pantry. It's a good opportunity to refill that. So it's like, um, for me, you know, I just, I'll run to the store. I'll be in and out. I'll get some a broccoli, a steak. I'll come home. I got my rice, you know what I mean? Ready to go, whatever. And I'll just whip up something easy. So um, so yeah, I'm more of a guy, I, I, I definitely believe in the, uh, shopping more often than not, like frequent, quicker visits to the supermarket rather than like bigger, huge shopping trips. All right. It's a lifestyle. It's uh... a... <laughs> because now you can like order big, big, uh, paper towels through Amazon or big toilet yeah. paper. You know, you don't have to worry about carrying all this crazy stuff. Like you can just get the things you need that are like food yeah. and then deal with all the other one-stop stop. The, the things that you like about the one-stop shop, just get them delivered. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you might have me rethinking my, <laughs> my style on that too. Cause I usually do like a once a week, like big delivery from like Instacart or Fresh Direct or whatever. Um, cause I don't feel like thinking about it all that often, but I mean, you're right. I do end up having like a fair amount of you end up like being pressured to make something because you're like, oh, I have this like, you know, this salad that's going bad or I have this like whatever that I'm not going to get to that's going to get thrown out or like I'm not even in the mood for this anymore, but I bought it already. So I have to right, make right, it. Right. So um, I'm not as sold on that as I am on the homemade stock, but I'm getting there. <laughs> well, I'm close. Maybe not every day, but like do like a, a two to three day shop, right? Buy yeah. for today, tomorrow night, maybe the next day. And then you're going to reload. Yeah. And I think that even works for like people with families, you know, obviously it's a hectic life, you know, having little ones at home and working and whatever else people have going on. But I feel like the, even with the delivery services, they're so convenient and like the price isn't that like that crazy where, you know, the, de the delivery fee is like, you know, $5 or whatever. But right. I don't know. I think it's something to think about. 
I actually enjoy going. Like shopping to me is like it's it's an activity. It's like mm-hmm. uh, it's like if you like going shopping at the mall or something. Like I want to peruse the grocery stores. <laughs> That's the and, most you thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, as somebody who's got a lot of experience, if you do that, go in the morning, especially now if if you if you don't have to go into an office. Right. Just wake up, go shopping. Nobody is there. It takes you. You can walk slower and get out faster than you would if you went (laughs) at like 5 p.m. when everybody has the same idea to go shopping. Um, If you can if you can swing it, the earlier you go shopping, it's like it's like it's like having an amusement park to yourself. Wow. So this is what Stephen does for fun, everybody. He goes to the grocery store first thing in the morning, crack a dawn. This man is <laughs> on his way to grocery shop. <laughs> I, I am quite, I'm just, I, I am a grandma. I'm yeah. Like, and exactly, I'm a 35-year-old grandma. Yeah, and that's beautiful for you. And that's great. It's, it's a wonderful brand. <laughs> um, I just need a cat. Oh, you should get a cat. I have a cat. I'm a, I'm a dog person, but I just thought I mean, a cat was more... Yeah. It's more fitting. More on, more on brand for your grandma vibes. Yeah. <laughs> well, was there anything else important that I didn't ask you or didn't touch on that you felt was good to share? Oh, no. You did You did quite the job. Yes. I mean, you're so well-spoken on your kind of like philosophies and, you know, things that you've learned and evolved and picked up on and improved. And I think that all of us would be lucky to kind of have those same habits that you have and you know it's a time thing it's a money thing you know whatever it may be but I feel like at at its root it's kind of a a love and appreciation and respect for the art of cooking rather than just like hey we're getting dinner on the table like I feel like your gears are always turning in a way to make the the whole experience as enjoyable as possible and what you said about having you know only two meals a day to really like enjoy the art of eating why not have it be the best it can be. And I love that. And even, I think that can flex to like, even if you're eating healthy, even if you're eating vegan, even if you're, you know, whatever you're doing, do it in a way that is, you know, as enjoyable as possible when you're, because for pretty much everybody, eating is one of the most enjoyable things we can do. And I think that's pretty universally acknowledged. So definitely taking your words of wisdom to heart, that's, for sure, and then I'll I'll be sending you some uh, some broth photos. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be eagerly awaiting. Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining me today. Thanks so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Feed Feed. And don't forget to follow Not Another Cooking Show on YouTube and TikTok and at the Food Freak with two Ks on Instagram as well to check Stephen out. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve that ever-prevalent question of what's for dinner. We would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.